Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor with a group practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I specialize in women as well as maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we'll talk about womanhood, motherhood, and a little bit of everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. And I'm so excited to announce our next guest, Monique Carruthers. She is the lead founder of Zest Preparatory Academy, and she has been in the education field for several years now. Um, She has taken on roles of being able to um, be a literacy instruction um, in grades K through three by collaborating with district leaders, school administrators, and teachers. She also has experience as an assistant principal, a curriculum coordinator, and elementary school teacher. Her teaching experience includes traditional virtual and charter school settings. She earned her undergraduate degree from University of California, San Diego, and master's of education in educational leadership from Lehigh University and is completing an Ed D in educational leadership. And that is just a small blip of everything that she has accomplished. And I'm glad that we're going to dive into um, going over everything. But thank you, Monique, for being a guest on the show. Well, thank you so much, Keisha, for having me. I am honored to just talk to everyone and learn so you all can learn a little bit about me as well as a little bit about Zest. So I'm excited about this. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, So before we just hop into more about your professional background, tell us a little bit about yourself and what it was like for you growing up. Well, I am originally from uh, California. I grew up in Southern California. I am the fourth of five children. I was raised by a single mother who I always say, like, we didn't have a whole lot growing up, but we had a lot of love. We had a lot of determination. And, like, our mother taught us that you have to work hard for what you want and you have to persevere. And I think growing up in Southern California allowed me the opportunity to be immersed in a true melting pot of people who truly, and all of that impacted, like, who I am as a person. And so growing up, I was that quiet, shy little girl um, who spent a lot of time in the books Mm. and read. And when I say in the books, like in school in the books, but also like really getting lost in books once I learned how to read. Mm. And again, like all that impacted me. And I I think about how my childhood um, impacted my career choice and and where I am and, and where I am today. And I know that all of San Diego is all in me (laughs) as I've kind of become a Georgia peach now. Like my children have raised, I've lived here for nearly 20 years. But I know that, you know, that core foundation of perseverance and working hard is all through me. And like, that's truly who I am at the core. That's wonderful. Being that you were one of five, was education something that like your mother harped on in your household, her being a single parent, raising all of you guys? You know, I would say no, it wasn't. Mm. Um, She, you know, when I was young, 
my mother was into the PTA. She was in the classrooms. But as we grew up, she just kind of said to us, you know, do what you're supposed to do. Mm. And mm-hmm. <laughs> gratefully, we all did what we were supposed to do. You know, my mother wasn't the person who said, bring me your report cards and check it all the time. Mm-hmm. She just knew that we were doing the right thing. She just came to expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, like, giving my mother a report card that, quite frankly, like, it was straight A's. She'd be like, okay, I knew that's what it was going to be. Ah. <laughs> And so I don't feel like my mother was the one who kept saying, like, be in, go into education. This is your only way. Mm-hmm. I was the, I'm number four or five, and I'm a first-generation college student. Mm-hmm. I was the first um, person in my family on both sides to go to college. Mm-hmm. And so opening up, uh, it opened up a whole new world for, mm-hmm. like, my family. It opened up a whole new world for me. And I think we learned together. I think we learned about like what are some of the things that my mother possibly could have done when mm-hmm. we were younger to like make the journey easier for all of us. But quite frankly, she didn't know. She was doing the best that she knew how with the information that she had. And so I think about myself as a parent and the knowledge that I have and the way that quite frankly, I kind of like shepherd and spearhead my children into doing certain things. Like mm-hmm. my mother didn't do those things for me, but she didn't do it because she didn't care. I mean, right. she did not. Yeah. Um, But what she knew to do was to tell us, like, no matter what happens, you keep going. Mm. No matter what the circumstances are, you keep going. And I think that that is just as important, if not more important, Mm -hmm. than pushing the academic days, keep doing all those, just keep saying, you might fall, but you keep getting up. And so Mm. I'm always appreciative of my mother for that. That's awesome. Um, I think that several Black parents families can relate to that um of being able to have that parent that just has like this is the expectation um i don't have to hound you i don't have to follow up with you but you know what we expect in this household at least i can relate to that my parents weren't people who were like you know open up your agenda let's go over your homework what do you have tonight they didn't follow up but i knew i couldn't give them less than what was expected i had to to do my part, do you feel like being that you were first generation to graduate from college and uh, move forth in your career, was there any pressure that you felt in doing that or or was it just something that was just natural for you? Um, I don't think that there was pressure from my family. Um, Honestly, I think I just kind of fell into it. I, I was very fortunate when I was in high school that I was selected to be in the Upward Bound program. Mm. And when I was a part of the Upward Bound, we worked very hard and we all learned together. Now, when I went into college, I went to um, UC San Diego mm-hmm. and there weren't a lot of people who looked like me <laughs> back then. And I learned that, you know, college was a whole new world. I was walking into a space with children who had come from boarding schools, who had come from families with um, both of their parents were college graduates. And so they knew things that I didn't know. And that's where the pressure came for me, quite frankly. That's where I felt like, oh, my goodness, like this is something totally different. And um, again, like my family never pressured me. My family was like, you do it. We're very proud of you. Keep going. How can we help? Even when they didn't know how to help, Mm -hmm. they were saying, how can we help? And I I do think if uh, any pressure that came from like after after a while, it came from myself. 
where I kept saying, you know, Monique, you have this opportunity, like you have been a whole new world, quite frankly, had been opened up to me. And I did feel a sense of responsibility to share that information mm-hmm. with my family. I shared it with my younger sibling. I That was, you know, my fifth sibling under me. Mm-hmm. I shared it with my sub- sisters um, and brothers that were older than me. I shared it with my nieces and nephews. And I think that's where the only level of pressure for me came from, is that now that you know, you tell people. Yeah. You tell people who don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. I um, volunteered with Big Brother Big Sister for several years. I had a little that I met when she was four, and we were paired all the way until she graduated from high school. And she was in the Upward Bound program and um, had amazing experiences with that. Can you share with our listeners who may not know what the Upward Bound program is, a little bit more information on what it is? Yes. So, and I will say Upward Bound may have changed a little bit since back in the 90s when I was in Upward Bound, but Upward Bound, um, from my experience, was a program where it brought high school age children together where we spent our summers on uc san diego's campus campus we took classes Mm. um enrichment classes but also academic classes so this was an opportunity for us to like hone our math skills hone our science skills we were interacting daily with actual college students who would tell us what it was like to be in college and we were also building friendships, some of which I still have today Ooh. with high school children from across the city. Wow. We didn't all come from the same school, but some of those people are some of my near and dearest friends to this day. And we were all kind of struggling through it and figuring it out together. Mm-hmm. And we were all spending our Saturdays, you know, writing our college essays together, studying for the SATs, and having somebody along the way to say, these are the words you need to use on the SAT. This is the the language that you need to normalize because again, like my mother didn't know. She didn't know that you had to study for SAT and that you had to, you know, make sure you knew all these tier two and three um, vocabulary words. And so for me, me, Upward Bound was a community. Mm. It was a community that accepted all the children where they were and that said, we're just going to teach you about something new. We're going to take all the things that are you and that are unique about you and help you funnel that into what the next phase of you looks Mm. like. 14, 15-year-old Monique was not the same person as 17, 18-year-old Monique when I stepped onto a college campus. Mm. And I and I know that in part that was because of upward bound. You know, I, I say to myself, Upward Bound changed the trajectory of my life. Wow. Like, I have three children myself, and when my daughter went to, she's in ninth grade, and and I distinctly remember going to, like, the fair that they had at the high school, and Upward Bound was one of the tables, and she heard about it, and she was was like, Mom, I want to do this. I knew that she didn't qualify. I knew that she didn't qualify. She's not first generation. She's not a low-income student. Mm. And so she wasn't going to be the priority. Yeah. But she listened and she was so excited. And I and I remember the gentleman that was there, he pulled her aside and he was like, I mean, he pulled me aside and was like, I don't think she's going to qualify. And I said to him, I said, you know, I know she probably doesn't, but the excitement is still there. And I said, but she doesn't qualify, quite frankly, because upward bound works. Um. Upward bound changed <laughs> 
yeah. the trajectory yeah. of her mother who right. came from a very low income, you know, background to then now a person working on a doctorate. Mm. And so it does work. Mm-hmm. It does change it. And it's okay that she doesn't qualify because this may not, this won't be the only opportunity for her. Mm-hmm. And so like Upward Bound is always near and dear to my heart. Mm. I spent my summers while I was at UC San Diego volunteering as a um, resident advisor. So I felt like I was at Upward Bound probably for seven or eight years (laughs) because I did it in high school and in college. Uh, But it's an amazing program. It's an amazing program that um, I think all children should have the opportunity to experience, if not Upward Bound, something like it. Right. What a testimony. Um, from my education, from my introduction of you, it's evident that you have a vast experience in education. Um, what, like knowing that your background, knowing, um, how your mother raised you and all of those gems that she instilled, what then inspires you to become an educator? You know, I think there's a lot of things that inspired me. When we were children, my sisters and I used to play school. Uh, my mother was the principal and we were the teachers we would make the homework and you know when someone was bad or somebody made some wrong decisions they'd have to go sit in the living room with her and she'd have the conversations and I think that was like the start of me as an educator Mm. Um, but when I graduated and when I graduated college I became a paraprofessional and in a um high school classroom Hmm. that was special education. Mm -hmm. And my job was to teach the 14 and 15 year olds, because they were ninth and 10th graders at the time, how to write their name, like how to learn learn the alphabet and how to like start to read basic phrases. And that experience is really what solidified in me that I wanted to be an educator. Mm. It solidified, I, I knew then that, okay, I don't want to teach high school, but I actually really enjoyed teaching reading. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that experience. And so from that, I knew that I was going to go in education. Mm-hmm. Once I got my own classroom, if you will, you know, I became a classroom teacher. I moved here to Atlanta. Um, I loved it. I mm-hmm. absolutely loved it. But I knew that I was going to, at some point, walk out of the classroom and try to impact education from a different lens. And I think that's what kind of led me here. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about like really what motivated me, it has always been the students and the families that I have been able to interact with. Mm, That's amazing. Um, And that's really great, like how you're describing almost like seeing that gap or that deficit or that need and that also being a huge piece of what inspired you to move forward in education and education is such a pivotal part of all of our development um and having great educators to be that guide um to teach us is is so important um since you kind of um segued into like where you are now so you are the lead founder of zest preparatory academy which is incredible um and such an accomplishment um how tell us a little bit about like that journey and that route like how did you go from then deciding to become an educator coming to georgia to then becoming a founder of an academy how did you get there (laughs) well you know it's a long journey (laughs) as it should be 
quite frankly, as it should be. Um, it is a long journey, but it's one that I'm incredibly grateful for. And I, I go back, actually, I'm going to go back in time to my experience on UC San Diego's campus. Mm. So as a, I would say, freshman, sophomore, and junior, I was a volunteer at what um, the Price School. Mm-hmm. And the Price School was a charter middle school that sat on UC San Diego's campus. And I was a volunteer. I would go in and I would, you know, help the students with their writing. I would go in and file papers. I would make copies, whatever they needed me to do um, as a college student. It was a part of my work study. It was on campus. And so I could go over there. And it was also a part of my interest in saying, hey, I'm interested in learning about education. But I can tell you, before I stepped foot on the Price School's campus, I had absolutely no idea that, like, Regular people, if you would, could be a part of the development of a school. I had no clue. Mm -hmm. Like, my mind was completely blown that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I learned that, you know, that was a thing, that someone could do that, and that a group of people could work together to build a really amazing school, I knew then, at some point in the trajectory of my career, that I would be involved in the charter space. Mm. At that time, I didn't know how, I didn't know what it would look like, but I knew that no matter what I did, I wanted to be a part of that. And so, you know, I, once I graduated from high school, from college, I went on to join Teach for America. Oh, wow. And through Teach for America, I was placed here in Atlanta. And so I, you know, I taught at some schools in Atlanta public schools for a while. And then I, um, actually ended up having my first child. And when I had my first child, she was born two months early mm. and she was very sickly. And so I knew that I w- it wasn't conducive for me to stay in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to just take some time off and, and rethink what I was going to do. But the opportunity came up um, with Georgia's first for- virtual school, Georgia Cyber Academy, was opening at that same time. Mm -hmm. And someone sent that to me and said, hey, I know you're going to be leaving. Like, have you ever thought about this? And I was like, no, I never even heard of it. Mm. Um, And so I took a chance and I started working with Georgia Cyber Academy because it allowed for me to, you know, be at home while still being in the education space. And quite frankly, I learned a whole lot about schools. I didn't even realize they were a charter school when I first... um, (laughs) when I first applied, so maybe it's serendipitous, you know, at that point. But I I learned a lot about schools. I learned a lot about virtual education. I learned a lot about families. You know, I had nearly 80 families that I was supporting. And so with 80 families, it comes with a number of children who all have different needs. I mean, we had famous pop star rapper children who Mm. were in my classroom. And we had the mothers who were probably just like me, you know, that were living in rural Georgia trying to figure it out. And so from that experience, which I'm incredibly grateful for, um, I learned a lot. And eventually I ended up going back into the classroom and I decided, you know what, I think it's time for me to step out of the classroom completely And I jumped into administration. I mean, I was fortunate where I had a couple of opportunities placed upon me, whereas I was able to go and work with a um, large charter network and serve as a um, assistant principal school leader, and while also simultaneously supporting the growth of a new school. 
um, in the development of the new school. From there, I um, once kind of, you know, I was in that space and then an opportunity opened up with the governor's office of student achievement here in Atlanta. And that opportunity was for a literacy specialist. Mm. And we didn't talk about it, but I we didn't talk about it yet, but like I didn't learn to read until I was in the third or fourth grade. Mm. And so I, when I saw that role, I was like, I would love this. Mm. I, this is something that I would love to do, thinking about how do we think about literacy from a more scientific perspective, mm-hmm. because I know it's what helped me. It's also what helped my middle child learn how to read. Mm. And so I had that great opportunity to serve as a state literacy specialist through the governor's office of student achievement serving large metro urban districts here in the atlanta space but also some of the more smaller rural districts and i love that work i loved impact um you know working with the families i loved working with the teachers the school leaders um but when it time when the time came for me to transition out of that i transitioned into a space of working in grants and i say that that was something that also was very near and dear to me because in the conversations that I had with educators throughout the course of my career, I often would run into educators who had really amazing ideas. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, they didn't know how to fund them. Mm. And they didn't know how to write the grants. They didn't know how to check all the boxes that are required for these government grants. And so being able to learn about that philanthropic side of Mm. education Mm -hmm. was also a way for me to get more education. But it was also a way for me to kind of pour into all of the educators who I knew had really amazing ideas ideas that would impact a number of students by being able to say, hey, I learned this. Now let's make sure you learn it and then you go and share it with someone else because there is a community of very generous um, philanthropists who are willing to invest in your ideas. And so I ended up being the executive director of the Innovation Fund Foundation Mm. where we supported, you know, the larger Georgia community and school systems in funding those very innovative ideas that impacted thousands of students. Um, And and it was a great time. I loved it, made a lot, um, saw some really amazing programs across the state. I still watch for them. I I actually just a few weeks ago talked to one of the school leaders who received a grant and he was like, you know, remember we were sitting down and writing all this stuff down? This is what it looks like now. And it was really amazing to think about what it looked like, you know, five years ago when we were just just kind of like brainstorming whiteboarding and I was just kind of there to help and give my perspective to see the children actually implementing that program and quite frankly watching eighth graders seventh and eighth graders um, being animators Mm. from idea and so that all of that led me to zest someone nominated me for a national program and said hey would you think about (laughs) you know founding a school being a part of that team and it took a lot of prayer and it took a lot of like thoughts with my family because I knew it would take a lot out of me. Mm-hmm. But I decided, you know what, maybe this is, maybe it has come back around to that 19, 20 year old Monique who was going to volunteer at the Poi School mm. to say, you know, after nearly 20 years in this profession, you can bring all of that like personal feeling, mm-hmm. but also the knowledge that I've gained, the support that I have to this work. Mm. And so that's where we are today. And it's almost like your career kind of set you up for that moment. Like having um, had that experience of 
working with the youth with literacy, having worked for a virtual charter school, having done grant funding, the philanthropic side, like you said, being an executive director. And then, you know, like you've you've paid your dues, you've learned, and then your own personal experience to get you here. Um, For our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what is the difference between a charter school versus a public school? Yes, I can. And and I'll start by saying that that's actually one of the biggest misconceptions, like charter versus public. Mm-hmm. All charter schools are public schools. So we are one and the same. <laughs> a charter school is not a private school. So I know people will also often say like charter school or my kids go to the public school. If your child attends a charter school, they are attending a public school. Mm. Uh, so that's number one that I would say. Um, charter schools can't and they don't charge tuition Mm -hmm. charter schools so that's why they're public schools you know private schools they can charge tuition or homeschool they might have like a little honorarium charter schools don't do any of that Um, so i think that's number one number two charter schools accept everyone Mm -hmm. so the same way that you would go and enroll your child in the you know the traditional public school around the corner the the enrollment may look a little bit different at Mm -hmm. a charter school but a charter school can't turn a child away. Mm. So that I think is also very important. It's some of the misconceptions that I have heard. People think that like we as a charter school will get to pick our students. We don't. Mm. Um, and, and what I say to people, what I like to explain is like, yes, there is an application, but the reason that there, there, there is an application is actually a logical one. It's not about picking. Your authorizer only gives charter school. The authorizer only gives charter schools a certain number of seats. Oh. And for instance, Zest, we are authorized through the state of Georgia. Currently, we have 216 seats, but our school is open to anyone who lives in Douglas County. Well, in order for us to fairly, you know, decide who's going to be into this, in order for us to, um, fairly offer that seat to everyone, Mm -hmm. there has to be a process so that everyone has a a fair chance. That's where the application comes in. Mm. That simple application is going to ask the child's name, the grade, the parents' name, the very basic information so that the charter school can plan for this number of first graders, this number of second graders, or this number of high schoolers. And that's where people have to fill out an application. And that's why people think that charter schools are like private schools, but we're not, they're not. And so if we have 216 seats, but we receive 290 applications, we have to have a lottery that says, okay, well, how do we randomly select who gets in? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the important thing. That's an important distinction that needs to be made. But I will talk about how, and from my perspective, charter schools can be a little different than the traditional public schools. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the biggest differentiators is flexibility and autonomy. Hmm. So charter schools as um, charter schools are given a little bit more flexibility and they do have a little bit more autonomy, but charter schools must promise that they will be high achieving. If charter schools are not high achieving schools, they can be shut down. So that's the trade off for that autonomy and that flexibility. 
And I'll share like for Zest, one of the things where we have flexibility in is our school day. So for example, our school day will be about 30 minutes longer than the traditional school day uh, for elementary school children. But what we are trading for that 30 minutes is the ability to have a dedicated leadership class for children during that 30 minute block. Mm. We did not want to pull time away from their math instruction or their literacy instruction or their science instruction. We wanted to be able to offer that designated leadership class as well as like a foreign language class. And we knew that the only way to do that and add and be able to um, give the same time, the, the necessary time to the other subjects is to add more time. As a charter school, we have that flexibility. But again, if it doesn't work, we get shut down. Gotcha. The traditional public schools, if it doesn't work, no one's going to come shut down mm-hmm. the local public school. Mm-hmm. And so that's some of the differences. So we have to work harder to make sure that it actually works right. and that it works for all children. You're held to a different standard than to public schools, it sounds like. Yes, we are. Like We are held to a different standard in that regard, in that it, if children are not performing, if children are not learning at high levels, then charter schools aren't going to be open. And I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, sitting here in this seat as the founder of Zest, I say that, you know, as Zest opens, if we find that children are not learning in Zest, then Zest should be shut down Mm. because it's not fair to those families who trust you. Um, And and I'm okay with that. Like as the lead of the, you know, the lead learner, I have to be okay with knowing that and saying that. Mm -hmm. I would say another difference that charter schools from the um, traditional public schools is funding. Charter schools are funded a little bit different. Um, There is a gap. Um, For instance, our school will not receive any local funding. Mm. So when people pay their taxes in this local area, we don't receive any of those any of those dollars. I am a taxpayer, um, you know, just like everyone else. None of my taxpaying dollars will go to Zest. So what that means as a charter school is that we actually have to fundraise. We are a nonprofit entity, so that makes us a little different in that, like, as a school itself, Mm -hmm. we are a nonprofit, just like the other um, traditional schools. But because we are a nonprofit, we can fundraise in a way that, um, you know, traditional public schools may not always do. So, for example, you know, Zest isn't open yet, but far we've raised over $1.1 million to support our opening. We will continue to do that. Um, that's where, you know, the philanthropic side, the nonprofit side of like my career and like my experiences come to the table because it's also a requirement. So it's not just, you know, charter schools are run by, you know, amazing educators. Charter schools require a multitude of skill sets and it requires a dedication from people who are quite frankly working very hard and aren't getting paid for it. Mm. I mean, our board is a volunteer board. So everyone who has been a part of Zest um, thus far in the opening and who will continue to shepherd and spearhead us opening are all volunteers. Mm And not volunteers because their children are going to attend Zest, because quite frankly, from our board, we don't have a lot of people whose children will attend Zest. Our Mm. children are all too old. Old, you know, they've already aged out. We just care about the community. We care about being a part of building something that will go beyond us and that will impact, you know, generations of families and children to come. Gotcha. 
Wow. That is uh, amazing. And I'm glad that you broke that down because I don't think I've, I've, no one has ever told me that. Like, what was the difference between the two? Because you do hear like private charter or public school, um, but not really understanding that background information of it. And it does sound like how you explained it. It, it would require a lot of passion to decide to open a charter school because you are held to a different standard and there is that pressure component of the funding, the academics, um, to have students excel um, and to offer something like really valuable in the community and like meet those expectations um, versus, you know, someone just opting to just go to the public school um, without all of that. So that, that speaks a lot. Where, where, well, tell us a little bit more about Zest and where is it in the opening and enrollment? So, um, Zest is a K through, we're currently a K through five school. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are intentionally an elementary school, um, intentionally K through five, and we are zoned for any families currently that live in Douglas County. Um, I live in Douglas County. I have lived here for nearly 20 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband has lived here for over 25 years. Our family, you know, we decided to raise our children here. So when it came time to deciding, you know, where would we think that we would want to open this school? You know, quite frankly, I said, of course, Douglas County. (laughs) Um, And so right now, Zest is slated to open in Douglas County. I will tell you that we had originally planned to open this coming fall, but there have been some pivots along the way. Mm -hmm. And so um, I know one of the other things that we were going to discuss is like, how has the pandemic impacted us? Mm -hmm. Well, the pandemic has impacted Zest in that we have had to make some pivots and some changes um, along the way. So Zest, as of now, we have decided to delay our opening by one year and we will be opening in the fall of 2020 in the fall of 2023 is in direct is directly because of the pandemic quite Mm -hmm. frankly we initially started this journey in 2019 um with the thought of opening in 2021 Uh, but then the pandemic happened and everything got put on hold and i definitely was okay with that and so now as we're thinking, you know, as we have been out in the community, as we have talked to families, have things have started to come back to somewhat of this new normal, mm-hmm. um, there have been other ways that schools have been impacted. For us, it has impacted our facilities. You know, we are, because our school will be located in Douglas County, it's not like there are just, you know, available schools that we can walk into. There aren't a bunch of available um, facilities that we can turn into a school. So having delays with COVID because of, you know, in the manufacturing space, in the construction space, Mm -hmm. we found that we needed more time. We had the option of, you know, quite frankly, rushing. Mm and saying, we want this school to open this fall as we had promised, and we can open in temporary modular buildings, or we can wait a year and we can build. Mm. And that was a very hard decision to make, yeah. but it's a decision that I, as the like founder and executive director, as well as our board, as we mulled over it, we thought, you know what, that's probably the best decision because sometimes you have to wait a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, you know, 
things that you want to be done well and we want the school to be done well sometimes take a little bit longer Mm -hmm. and we're okay with that Mm -hmm. and so that's where we are right now i can tell you in terms of our enrollment we have been very fortunate Mm -hmm. um families have believed in what we have told them about zest Mm -hmm. i think when people talk to me when people talk to our team they realize that one we really do care and two we're really trying to do this right um and so we have 216 seats the school was slated to open this fall and we had more than half of those seats already filled wow which makes it even harder for us to make the decision Mm -hmm. to defer a year because we know that then those families who wanted to attend us this year they don't have that option anymore but we know there are other great options for them within this community and we know that if they decide to come back in the following year when we open, that we will be there. Mm-hmm. But we will continue over the course of this year um, to let people know that we're here. We also were very fortunate where we had a number of educators who are willing to come on the journey with mm. us. We've had a number of partners who are willing to come on the journey with us. And so we've decided to take this um, additional year that um, we have and that we have been kind of fortunate and blessed to be blessed with, you know, it's kind of that blessing in disguise piece to take this year and say, come join us, come be a part of this great, amazing thing that's happening Mm -hmm. because now we have more time to do all that we want. We have more time to bring in more dreams because it's not just my dream. It's not just the dreams of the board. It's the dreams of all the children and of all the families that we talk to when we say, what do you want to see in this school? Now we have more time to ask more people. Yeah. And we have time to ask people, what do they want to see in a building? Yeah. That's, I think it's a great thing. That is, that is. And it it definitely sounds like quality is of importance um, versus just trying to put something out, like making sure it's, it's good. It's, it's functioning. It's adequate. It's meeting the expectations, which is good. Um, So it makes sense why you would put it off. And now for a quick break. I wanted to take a few minutes just to give a special thanks to our sponsor, Addie War. Addie has donated um, journals for our mindfulness hike tomorrow that's going to be hosted at Arabian Mountain. And they're beautiful mindfulness journals that all of our attendees will be able to write down their reflections. Um, share their thoughts as they participate in some grounding exercises and just really release any type of stressors that they could be wearing on that day. And to tell you a little bit about Addie War, she is a Black-owned stationery and gift shop that focuses on positive and uplifting products for Black women. Their shop owner, Addie, creates the stylish and fun illustrations of everyday Black women to help bring each product to life. They strive to bring inclusive and representative art into the practice of gift giving. So if you are looking for any type of journals or notepads or any type of illustrations at all, please be sure to hit up AddieWar.com on their website and shop all of her beautiful stationery products. I'm going to put the link in the show notes um, so you can click it browse around, shop, get some great products, 
And also, thank you again for Addie for sponsoring our hike and also sponsoring this episode of this podcast. And now, back to our show. So a, a, a lot of the basis around the podcast is we talk a lot about parenthood, motherhood, womanhood, and um, you having been a mother yourself, and a lot of the listeners are mothers, um, thinking about the educational future of their child, it's super important. I'm in that same seat myself right now with a, a pre-K student and figuring out where we're going for kindergarten or, or whatnot. But um, in your experience being in education, working in the system, and having your own child, um, what advice would you give a parent as they are planning the educational future for their young child? Like how, what are the things that you would um, suggest they take in consideration when thinking about um, a charter school that could be in their community or public school or looking at a curriculum or if diversity is important or um, what type of leadership they have? What are some tips that you feel like you could? That's a great question because um, I lead with my heart as a parent. And when I think about Zest, like, as I've told everyone, if this isn't a school that I would put my children in, it's not a school that we're putting out. And none of my children will attend there. Um, but when parents ask me, like, what should I look for in a school? I have three children and all three of my children are very different. And so I say that as a parent, you have to think about like what your child needs. You know them best. Mm -hmm. You know them when they are shining and they are at their best. And you know them when they are probably not at their best and they need a little bit of extra support. So I always say start there. Um, so for I'm going to, you know, my children kind of hate when I use them as examples, mm -hmm. but I always do. Um, my oldest daughter. She's very smart, and I admit I'm biased, <laughs> but she is. She's very bright, um, and but she's also very sensitive. Mm. And so I know, and like we, my husband and I, we know that she needs an environment that like will push her academically. But we also know that she, more importantly, needs a space where she's going to feel comfortable. She might need a quiet space. And she also needs a space where there are going to be teachers who are going to look at her and say, like, hey, let me check in with you. How are you doing today? Are you okay? She's going to be the child that gets all of her work done. She's a straight-A student, has always been. But she needs somebody to, like, push her. Mm -hmm. She needs somebody to give her that, like, extra ump of love, like, to really care about her as a person and to dive in. Versus my son. Mm -hmm. My son, again, very bright. I'm biased, but very bright <laughs> child. Uh, but he loves all things engineering. Oh. He loves engineering. Like, he loves to take things apart. He loves to tell me how my phone works, how my computer works. Wow. He loves all of that. So when I look for a school for him, I look for a place that has, like, some kind of STEM class or some kind of science class where I know he's going to, like, that curiosity in him is going to be is going to be able to thir thir um, to flourish and to thrive, but I also know that he needs a place where he needs a teacher that might fuss at him a little mm, bit. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. That you know they're going to fuss at him in love to keep him on track. Like right. he might not just do it on his own. And so for them, they need very different, different schooling options, mm -hmm. and that is okay. <laughs> I think that is okay. And so I say for parents, look at your child and decide what 
do what are their needs who are they as young people like as their minds are developing they will change a little bit Mm -hmm. but what are they curious about you know what do they do when no one's looking and academically what do they need do they need like every every child needs strong academics in my opinion but do they need a space where the classes are smaller and they need somebody to really help them with maybe a deficit that they have or do they need a place where they are already like so you know they're they're already thriving like my daughter she read at three years old Mm. and I know that she needs a place that's going to push her yeah I also have another child who I know needs that push but she struggled in reading yeah you have to, as a parent, parents have to look at schools and say, what does my child need? And what they need this year may not be what they need next year. Mm-hmm. I have a child in elementary, middle school, and high school, and I have to make the best decision for them for each phase of their life, mm-hmm. whether it is the traditional public school, whether it's a private school, whether it's a charter school, mm-hmm. whether it's homeschool. Whatever decision, like whatever your child needs is the school choice that they should have. Mm. When do you think like all of this should be taken into consideration? Like when thinking about pre-K and kindergarten, is that too soon? Is it more so like first to fifth or just when they start learning period? I think there's, I think you can't start too early. Mm. Um, And so, you know, when children are, I'm a huge proponent of early education And so when I say early education, like that early childhood, that three, four-year-olds, like that is where my love is. Um, I think parents should start thinking about it then. I think that you start to kind of see, that's when you really can start to see the curiosity in children. Mm -hmm. At four years old, my son was taking apart his like race cars. Mm -hmm. At three years old, he was lining them up. And so there was a curiosity there. Mm -hmm. Could I name it as like engineering STEM? Yes, I could because I had been in that space. Could every parent? No. Mm. But parents will tell me, like, they're very curious. They like to do this or, you know, they like to put stuff together. I say start early. Start as early as you can. Ask as many questions as you can. And be okay with making a decision that may change later. Gotcha. Okay. Um, My last question is, you do a lot. I don't know if you know that, (laughs) but you have a a good bit on your plate. (laughs) Even just saying having a high schooler, middle schooler, um, elementary schooler, um, founding an an entire school, funding, meeting requirements, um, being in, we were talking before we started recording, in an organization that supports, you know, interaction with your kids and a wife and a daughter a sister all of these things you are how do you take care of yourself what does your self-care look like well you know what you're right sometimes i look and say how is this all happening (laughs) (laughs) how is this all happening but somehow it does um but you know i honestly i think it is prioritizing that self-care like i unapologetically sometimes take time like just for me Mm. and sometimes I take that time to just do nothing and 
you know, lay on my couch and, and watch Netflix. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes I like really dive into my hobbies. Like I love photography. Oh, it's nice. like a, a place for me. Sometimes I just get in my car and drive to nowhere and just stop and take pictures of like random buildings oh, or like cool. the sky, the birds I see, you know, people walking down the road. I also love hiking and I love waterfalls. Ooh. So as many times as I can, like I love to go up to the North Georgia mountains and just, you know, put on my headphones and walk in the mountains mm. and just look at the waterfalls. I'm okay with taking that self-care. I'm okay with taking those, you know, to take those moments. Um, I have often said, and, you know, people who know me, I say, I try really hard to protect my peace. Yeah. And I, I hold that really near and dear to my heart because, Things are going to get crazy. Mm-hmm. Things are not always going to go your way. Mm-hmm. Things are going, you're sometimes going to have to pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have probably done all of the things that working mothers have done. I've taken meetings in my car. I have like nursed a sick child on my lap while I'm typing on a computer. Mm-hmm. Like I have done all of those things, but I always say to myself, you have a decision when things go are going wrong. I'm just gonna start there. When things go wrong and I feel like with all the things that are happening, I can let it completely overtake me and overwhelm me. And sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna admit it. Like sometimes I cry and I say, whew, I just need a moment. Yeah. And I think that's okay. We have to be okay with saying, I needed this moment, but I also have to know that I make I have to make a decision to say, do I let this completely consume me? Or do I say I'm protecting my peace mm-hmm. and I took my moment and now I'm ready to move forward? Yeah. I think in anything we do, that is the truth that we as women have to be okay with. Women have to be, especially working mothers, mm-hmm. what I've found is like you have to know that everything's not going to go perfect. You're not always going to make the right decisions, but okay. But be okay with that and move forward from that Mm -hmm. and protect your peace like Mm -hmm. really truly protect what makes you peaceful because when we are over the pandemic when we are you know when i am finished with this doctorate when i'm watching my children graduate across the stage when the doors of zest open i want to be okay on the other side of that and i can only be okay if i prioritize me in the process and so I tell women to do the same thing I love that and I also love how you are an example of that it can be done I think that a lot of times in our society or even in our culture it can seem like it's an either or um if you choose to have three children then your career can only go but so far because your attention can only you know be in one place you got to be with your kids you got to you know dedicate your life to your kids But there can be, I wouldn't say just this 50-50 balance, but there can be room to do multiple things, to still like reach the peaks of your career and break ceilings while also being an intentional parent and also further your education. All things can exist as long as you take care of yourself and that you aren't burnt out to when you arrived at these goals. You can't even bask in the joy of them because you're exhausted. Um, but being mindful and intentional about taking care of yourself and you can still have the things that you want in life. So thank you for being an example of that. (laughs) Well, 
Well, thank you. You know, I always say I could not have done this without having a group of amazing people to help me along the way. People who have helped me raise my children, people who have helped bring me, you know, water and food when I needed it, mm. someone who does my hair when I need it, someone who cleans my house when I need mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah. all of the things. Yeah. And someone who just says, Monique, let's go out for lunch. Women, I think as women, we have to be okay with asking for help. Mm-hmm. I think we as women also have to be okay with saying, yes, I can be a mother and I can be a working mother. Mm-hmm. I can go to school. I can do all of those things. Because when I look, quite frankly, you know, I have a son, but when I think of, when I look at my daughters and I hear them tell me like, mom, I want to do this. I want them to be able to look at me and say like, mom wasn't perfect, but mom tried. Mm-hmm. And you know, mom's trying to do all the things that she wants to do. Because as I tell my daughters all the time, there are multiple pieces of you and it's okay to explore them all. Yes. I am a wife. I am a mother, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, you know, I'm a friend, Mm -hmm. but I'm also a person. And it's okay that all of those pieces make up Monique because Monique is more than just the educator. Monique is much more than just the career she chose. I'm all those things. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be all of those things. Mm -hmm. Well said. Um, Where can people find out about Zest, whether they want to donate or if they're interested in sending their children there, where can they go to get more information? That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. Um, If anyone is interested in learning more about Zest, you can find out information on our website at www.zestprep.org, or you are always welcome to email our team at info at zestprep.org we are always looking for volunteers um, we're always looking for partners and we are actually in the space of looking to add additional people to our board if not now then in the future and for families who are interested in learning more um, about potentially enrolling their children in zest again there's um, they can do that on our website and they are not actually enrolling their children but they can get more information at that time um, so again, www.zestprep.org or email us at info at Wonderful. Thank you, Monique. It's been such a pleasure having you and talking to you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. This has been wonderful. And, you know, I'm excited about it again. I'm very humbled and um, grateful that you asked me to be here. So thank you. Strengthen me.